right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Happy Thursday to you here on RCST with Adam Drovetta, Derek Johnson. We're going to have a fun show today. I hope all of them are fun, honestly. But um, we're going to have Dave Allman join us at about 3.40, 3.45. Dave runs Bracketville, one of the best, most accurate bracket sites there is. And we're going to catch up with him, see where KU's at, what the floor, what the ceiling, all that stuff is, and uh, kind of what's ahead for, you know, what KU needs to do to get a one seed or what happens if this scenario occurs. Um, so we'll talk about Dave coming up later this hour. We're going to also let you listen in to some more KU football audio. Andy Kotelnicki caught up at KU Media Vale earlier today. And then we've got a special guest, Andy Stewart um, of the KU Rugby Club, brought to you by Johnny's Tavern, coming up at about 4.30 here. KU taking on TCU tonight. We've got coverage here on KLWN, pregame at 5.30, tip-off at 7 o'clock. With David Lawrence, Sean Kellerman for pregame, Greg Gurley and Brian Haney on the call of the game. You can also hear it on our sister station, 105.9 KISS and 1059kissfm.com. KU just got spanked by TCU this past Tuesday. And it was a weird game, a game that felt like KU was sleepwalking at the start of the game. But they kind of weathered the storm. They were down, I think, uh 34 to 29 with like a minute and a half left in the half. And then they hit two big threes at the end of the half, and it felt like, you know, even despite TCU outplaying KU, Kansas is winning. And how many times have we seen that be a recipe for, hey, you're the better team overall, even though they outplayed you in the first half. If you're tied or winning or even within striking distance, you come out in the second half, and now you play more to form after kind of waking up, and you're going to be okay. That was not the case, though. TCU came out, punched KU in the mouth to start the third uh, or the second half, the, the beginning of – the half and, and just kind of pulled away from there and pulled out with a 74-64 win. Now, it's tough because it wasn't a game where you sit there and go, man, KU went 3 of 25 from 3, that won't happen again. Or TCU went 12 of 20 from 3, that won't happen again. TCU went just 3 of 15 from 3. KU went 8 of 19 from 3. So if anything, TCU will probably see a positive regression in terms of the closeness of the three-point shooting between the two games. The biggest thing that won TCU the game was the physicality, the athleticism, the want to, the hustle, the effort, and just kind of finishing inside. TCU shot 48% on twos, which isn't a a fantastic number, but it's a solid number. KU, meanwhile, shot 35% on twos in the first game in Fort Worth. That was their worst mark of the season. I mean, they've been a really good two-point shooting team this season. So that, probably uncharacteristic. And I think that probably goes in line with the athleticism. TCU able to cover things up at the rim. But also, I think it goes in with, I don't know, maybe the lack of of want to because you're trying to kind of power things in, I guess. Um, KU did have a low turnover game, though. That's a good sign. But they didn't force many turnovers for TCU offense that can turn the ball over a good amount this year. And then KU just got worked on the glass. They give up 19 offensive rebounds. That was in comparison to KU only getting 23 defensive rebounds. It's uh, going to be a bit of a challenge for KU in this one. It's just two days after the first game. So this isn't a case of, hey, we've learned a lot about our team since the first time we played. Now we're different. We're playing this guy differently. We have a different whatever. And there's not a ton of time to re-scout the opponent either. So this really does just come down to how much do you want it? And you would say, well, they should want it a lot. They're coming off an embarrassing loss. They're coming off back-to-back losses. They have to win these next two games to clinch even just the share of the Big 12 and still have a shot at a one seed. You would think all those things would be huge motivation for you to go out there against a high-effort team in TCU. The problem is, though, all of those things pretty much should have applied for the first meeting in Fort Worth. You were coming off a loss. You were playing to try to win out and win the Big 12 outright, all to yourself. 
You were playing against a team who had just beat Texas Tech, a really good opponent on that very floor, and you didn't really get up for it. So how am I to think that things are going to be totally different this game? I I don't know. Because like I said, the three-point shooting probably won't be even as lopsided as it was. I expect KU to shoot better on twos. Maybe the defense will be a little bit more tightened up. But this really does come down to how well they're rebounding, how well the five's playing, because that was a mess for KU at the five position in the first TCU game. They couldn't grab rebounds. Uh, They were giving up stuff inside. And that's, I mean, the ultimate question all along, like the inconsistencies of of David McCormick, Mitch Lightfoot has struggled against bigger, more athletic teams. Zach Clements and KJ Adams just maybe haven't gotten a full shot and been able to develop as much by not playing as much. It's been a mess. And this is a type of game that, like what TCU does well, which if we're just looking at the profile, I mean, we we talked about it on Tuesday, headed into that game. We can re-up it here. TCU is a team that, Um, not great offensively. They're 77th in the country. They're eighth in big 12 play in terms of offensive efficiency. They turn the ball over a lot. They are last in the conference in offensive turnover rate, but KU only forced seven turnovers in that game. That's a problem. KU just hasn't been doing that this year. Um, but TCU is only ninth in the big 12. They're shooting 29% on threes, pretty good from two point range, top half of the conference. But overall, it's not a great offense. It's just an offense that gets a lot of offensive rebounds. They're first in the conference, first in the entire country in offensive rebounds. They're also a great defensive rebounding team, first in the conference in defensive rebounding rate. They're a top five defense in the conference. They don't really do anything exceptionally well on the defensive end outside of the defensive rebounding, but they're a solid defensive team who does a lot of things well, and offensively they have a lot of flaws shooting the basketball but they can shoot two-point shots well, and they get a lot of offensive rebounds. So that's the profile. The thing is, with playing them at home, this is a team that you would think their style of play travels pretty well. Um, I mean, when you're looking at the road results this year, too, like specifically just in conference play, they did win at Kansas State. They did win at Iowa State. They did win at Oklahoma. I mean, this has been a... a Pretty solid team overall. They're going to be an NCAA tournament team. And the rebounding stuff, it does travel, even if the shot isn't there for TCU. And that's a little scary to me because you're trying to make up a 10-point deficit. And all that that I mentioned, like, I don't know. I very much really can see TCU winning this game in Allen Fieldhouse. And I think that's kind of probably the the change of mood with losing those back-to-back games. Maybe that's going a little bit too far. I saw the the spread for this game, though, is set at 10.5. Ken Palm has it as an 11-point game, so that's pretty much right in line with Vegas, as it normally pretty much is. I have a very hard time seeing KU winning that big after seeing the first result. Maybe that's being way too much a prisoner of the moment. It's just like I said, a lot of what happened wasn't coming down to fluky shooting or fluky. It was just that TCU outmuscled you on the glass, and that is their identity. Honestly, I, I think whatever happens tonight, like I'm expecting a close game. I'm expect, expecting a, a single-digit game. For, for KU to cover the 10.5, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you lose 10 in the first game, that means you'd have to have a 21-point swing. I, I don't see it. But again, like I, I always talk about there's sometimes these like Vegas knows something lines where sometimes you scratch your head and go, really, that's the line? And a lot of times it's with the idea of of trying to get you to take the other side because you're like, that doesn't make sense. That's an easy bet. I'll take the other side. And the easy side here would be take TCU. They're getting 10.5 points after they just beat Kansas by 10 points two days ago. But, you know, maybe Vegas is, you know, well, they are. They're more impartial there. So maybe that is a good sign for KU tonight. Maybe in the positive way for um, the kind of Vegas knows something type of things. It's going to be a really important matchup for the two spots that struggled the most for KU. Now, I guess I shouldn't say the most because really everyone struggled. I mean, Christian Brown was two of nine on twos. That's unorthodox for him. Ochag Baji really struggled shooting the basketball. I mean, back-to-back games that Ochai has struggled. So clearly you have to get them going because it's hard for any team. If you said, hey, your two best players, they're going to struggle in this game. You're going to be like, well, of course, our chances to win or our chances to play as well aren't going to be nearly as well. So clearly they have to play better. But the two biggest, I guess, gaps that I think I saw in the first game with TCU 
and um, that I'm looking for tonight are the matchups at the five position and the one spot. Now, with the five spots specifically, as we talked about, TCU, great rebounding team, elite rebounding team, especially on the offensive glass. You don't, if you're KU, have to force them into a bad offensive rebounding game. Just don't let it take over the game. And in the game in Fort Worth, you let it take over the game. Most of KU's losses, there's a correlation between letting the other team grab a bunch of offensive rebounds. And there have been games where Dave or Jalen or whoever has had unbelievable rebounding games. It's just been so inconsistent for this team. You don't know what to expect night in, night out. So if this is a good rebounding game for KU, and that's that's what's unfortunate, really, because the defensive rebounding is the biggest key for them getting out in transition and unlocking the best part of their offense. And the defensive rebounding has been so inconsistent this year. I mean, because that goes into it, too. Uh, the TCU game was a bit of a slower paced game. It was actually really fast, rapid early on in the game. Ended up slower paced. KU is 13 and 0 this season in games that have been 70 possessions or more. Those are their faster games. In games under that mark, under 70 possessions per game, they're 10 and 6. And yes, a lot of those have come against Big 12 teams who do tend to play slower with better defenses. So that's part of the number as well. But for a team that likes to play fast, if you take them away from that, it's going to be a lot harder because they're not nearly as good of an offense scoring in the half court. So if you're not getting defensive rebounds, you're not going to run as much. You're not getting steals, you're not going to run as much. KU doesn't force steals. KU doesn't get them. So you're basically relying on the defensive rebounds. That wasn't good enough against TCU. It has to be better tonight. And obviously it is kind of a team rebounding thing. Like everyone has to get involved. Christian, Jalen, whoever. But the center of it all is literally the center. Dave McCormick had eight rebounds. I'd love to see how many missed rebounds he had, though. You know, it looks good statistically, but if you were to say, yeah, but he should have had, based on the amount of misses, 12, giving up four, whatever it would be, that's not great. I mean, there were a lot of missed layups, rebounds, drop passes, all that stuff. Mitch, as I said, just kind of struggles against the bigger, more athletic teams. It's not a matchup for him. Um, Zach Clements gets a concussion. I think KJ Adams is probably a little bit better of a matchup for TCU. There are certain matchups that I, I, I think KJ is perfect for. When you're playing Baylor and Jeremy Sohans at the five, playing Texas Tech and you have Bryson Williams at the five, a game like this against TCU. But what we know about the rotation is Bill Self, especially this late in the season, is going to lean towards the guys he trusts. And even if KJ is a better matchup than Mitch Lightfoot, he's going to give Mitch Lightfoot the first crack at it, and then he'll go to KJ Adams and KJ might end up being the better matchup and play better that game, but because he's going to give Mitch Lightfoot, the guy he trusts or whoever, the first crack at it, it's not going to be a huge amount of minutes for that guy or if the matchup is right for Zach Clements. like That's just kind of how it works, and maybe it shouldn't work that way, but it just does. So whatever happens at the five, I don't know who's going to play where. It's been so inconsistent, especially the last couple of games. That's obviously a big storyline tonight against a TCU team who's going to continuously, aggressively crash the boards all game long. The other spot has to be the point guard spot. Dewan Harris has not scored the last two games. He does have seven assists both games, so the facilitating has been there. But you do need to get something out of him. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be him going off from three or, or making those open three-point attempts. It's the the little teardrop shots the floaters in the lane, the little running kind of over-the-head hook shots off the window and in from the side of the lane that we've seen Dewan be actually really good at this season at different points, but it's been inconsistent. And you have to get at least something from him scoring-wise. Again, it could be four to six points. It just has to prove that you can be a real threat in some way or another. The other problem here is that you know, Dewan is going to do the little things better, the trust more, the defense better than Remy Martin, although there have been certain times where teams, and, and I think TCU was one of these, has been able to attack switches of Dewan Harris and kind of just drive him to the lane and bully him to the lane because he's too small, he's too skinny, or switch on to him and, and post him up in the lane. And that's obviously a problem. Um, if Remy plays defense, I think like he did against TCU, I think you will see some more Remy Martin tonight, especially with Dewan really struggling on the offensive end the past couple games. And now that this would be game three for Remy Martin, that he would be kind of slowly cranking up into playing more. It would make too much sense for him to play more tonight. 
But it's also something that, going back to the conversation of Bill Self's going to play the guys he trusts, especially this late in the season, I'll kind of believe it when I see it. Now, I was, even though the game didn't go well, I was, um, I don't know, appeased, I guess, by the fact of, of a lot of the two-guard lineups that KU went out there with. They gave some shots to Joe Yesfu playing with Remy Martin. They gave some opportunities with Dewan playing with Remy or Dewan playing with Joe Yesfu. I like those two-guard lineups for KU. I think it helps them in a lot of different ways of areas that they've struggled, taking care of the basketball, forcing turnovers, being more athletic, being more quick on the floor. I think we'll see some more of that tonight. Um, but it's it's just it's so hard reintroducing a player this late in the season, which you are with Remy Martin, and I I just don't know what to expect because it feels like almost since the I think it was the Tarleton State game or maybe it was Stephen F. Austin, yeah I think it was Stephen F. Austin where Remy hits the big kind of step back shot. It feels like ever since then we haven't really seen it come all together for Remy, and like I think the Michigan State game, which it's so long ago, it was the opening game of the season. It's hard to really do takeaways from that game. But that's like the ideal role for Remy. In the first half, I think he played 25 minutes in that game. First half, he didn't score. He was a facilitator. He got others involved, didn't really mess up defensively. And then the second half, when you needed it, when the shot clock was winding down, or when you just kind of needed those buckets, Remy went, and I think he scored 14, 15 points all in the second half. It almost feels like now we're getting one or the other. And the play time is obviously inconsistent. He's been injured. Now he's just coming back. So it's... it's tough to, you know, totally make um, comparisons to what he was doing in in the non-con, but it just feels like it's one or the other. Against TCU, it was good defense, but you didn't get anything offensively from Remy Martin. And the whole idea of having Remy Martin on this team is that he can give this team offense. He can give them a scoring punch. He can score for them late in the shot clock or create for them off the dribble. But the offense wasn't there against TCU. In the Baylor game, the offense was there for Remy Martin. I know it's only five points, but it was 11 minutes. He looked good offensively when he's out there. But the defense was very bad for Remy. It's just like, it's one or the other. It's either great offense, bad defense. Uh, good defense, bad offense, or just non-existent offense. And you need to get both. That's the only way this is going to work for Remy. And I think it's pretty clear that, like, I like Dewan. He's a good player. He's a connector. But for this team to reach its ceiling, I think for a while... I had kind of settled into the idea that, you know, maybe they don't need Remy Martin. And I don't know if it's just that reintroducing Remy Martin changes things up and shakes things up that now you do need him, obviously, if he's going to play. Or if this was just coming all along and that this was going to be a perfect opportunity of that. But I think you are starting to really see that. And everything I mentioned with the speed of the KU offense, how they play so well in transition. Well, you know who's somebody who can help you when you're kind of struggling, you get in half court offensively? You need somebody who can create off the dribble. That's Remy Martin. Christian Brown um, is a really good transition player. He's not a great half court offensive player. Ochag Baji is a super efficient offensive player. But he's not as much a guy you give the ball, you let him go shake and bake someone. I mean, he can on occasion or in transition. But overall, he's not going to be a guy that just does. Remy Martin can. And so I don't really know what to expect tonight, but Remy can solve a lot of this team's issues if Dewan is going to continue to have a lack of scoring threat, and especially with the way that maybe has been picked on a little bit more defensively than you would like to. Dewan's still going to play. He still should play. He is an important player on this team. He does a lot of things really well for this team. But I think tonight might be the night that you do unleash Remy Martin because I think you might need to in this game. All the pressure's on KU, man. You got to win these next two games to get at least a share of the conference. I mean, if you don't win tonight, we talked about that TCU game being maybe the worst loss for KU since 2018 when you lost Oklahoma State, pick whichever time. Probably the first one at home because the second one on the road, even though you got blown out, it was like, you know, you have the conference wrapped up. This, I don't know, would probably trump it, right? Because it would be at home. It would be off two straight losses. It would just kind of compound everything. And it would basically mean that you're not winning the Big 12. That you went from up two in the loss column with four to go to now you don't even control your own destiny. They have to win tonight. I mean, I don't even know. If we're going to talk to Dave Allman here, I'd be curious to know like the floor of this team seed. Like if they lost out, if they lost to TCU and then Texas Saturday and then the Big 12 tournament. They'd be four seed? 
I feel like they'd still probably be on the three line or something, but I, I don't know. Just uh, very interesting stuff. So the pressure's on. They got to take care of business on these last two. Certainly being back at home in front of Allen Fieldhouse, that will help. But like I said, based on the way TCU plays, based on the way TCU punked you in Fort Worth, it's kind of tough to just say Allen Fieldhouse is going to cure all their woes. They're going to have to cure them themselves. Dave has to play better. Ochai and Christian have to shoot better. They have to get more out of the point guard spot and start to find consistencies. And maybe above all, because this is more of the long-term conversation, they need to start figuring out the rotation. That was, I will say, with Remy Martin out, like that was the, the beauty of what you were able to do when Remy Martin was out. It felt like you finally settled in on what the rotation would be. It was the five starters, Dewan, Jalen, Ochai, Christian, and Dave. Mitch, the first big off the bench. Maybe a specific matchup will favor KJ or Clements. And then we're going to play a lot of Joe Yesifu. Jalen Coleman-Lance has a specific role to come in to hit threes for a couple stints during a game. Rotation was was pretty certain, those games. Now with Remy back, it's very in flux. Is Joe Yesifu going to play very little? Is he going to play double-digit minutes? How much is Jalen Coleman-Lance going to play? Center position's back in flux now. Where's Remy Martin fit in? Is he more of a guard? Do you play next to another guard? Is he the lead guard? Do you take him over for Dewan Harris? Is he a guy who comes off the bench? Plays? There's so many questions with this rotation right now. And if you could have a win tonight, bounce back, and start to figure out that rotation, that would go a long way. I think I'm picking TCU with the, the spread. Haven't totally decided who I'm picking for the game. That may be too much of a downer. I think I'm probably leaning KU for the game, but again, it's hard to erase what happened on Tuesday night. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. Dave Allman joins us in about 20 minutes. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, klwn.com. Joined now by Dave Amon of Bracketville. We had Dave on, I don't know, two, three weeks ago to talk the bracket. Now things have maybe become a little more clear in the bracket. We've had the NCAA Tournament Committee release their top 16, which maybe gives a little answers to the test early on and, and helps kind of at this point in the season. Um, Dave still has KU as the last one seed right now, even after the losses to Baylor and TCU, but I'm sure kind of hanging on by a thread with some other teams right behind him. How tightly is that race for that that number one uh, seed, the last number one seed, I guess, right now? Well, I'd say it's pretty close. And, you know, honestly, we're in a position right now where it looks like heading into the last week or week and a half of the season here, there's really seven teams vying for those four number one spots. And if we look at them, kind of in order, I think we can safely predict that Gonzaga is very likely to stay a number one because at this point they're they're either not likely to lose again or even if they do, they could only lose one more game because the West Coast uh, Conference Tournament is underway and they won't play again until uh, the semifinal. So they could only lose one more game. So that leaves us then, you know, right now we have Baylor, behind them in Arizona, and then, as you mentioned, Kansas hanging on by that proverbial thread, um, heading into another game uh, tonight and then a game over the weekend, followed closely by Auburn, Kentucky, and then Duke. And so I think it's kind of a combination, really, of either four teams for one or potentially, if, depending on how things play out, five teams for two spots here over the next uh, seven to ten days. So what right now is it about Kansas that is giving them maybe that razor-thin slight edge over the Auburns and Kentuckys and Dukes? Well, I, I think, you know, ultimately it's like this, and, and you could put us in a room and eight other people in the room and we could have a committee, and it may be six and four one way or the other, so that's why the whole voting process goes on from discussions on exactly how an individual would see it. To me, ultimately, it came down to part of it being Kansas' overall, you know, strength of schedule, um, although Auburn's is, is pretty good, too. I would just say that the, the depth of Kansas' victories 
maybe gives them a slight edge. And that's and again, we're kind of splitting hairs. If you look at one thing or another, for example, you know Kansas at this point still maintains an average net victory of under 100, which is really incredible. Where Auburn's is at 106, their losses are about the same. So very, very comparable. Um, metrics are very, very comparable. It's about as even, Stephen, as you're going to get. So the question becomes, how do those teams finish out this week and then into conference tournament play? And then we have a team, obviously, behind them with Kentucky, um, who if they were to end up getting compared head-to-head with Kansas for a final spot and all those things were considered, that's when that Kentucky victory at Kansas could come into play and could be a deciding factor for the Wildcats to be in that final position. Yeah, so I guess for Kansas fans, kind of rooting against Kentucky from here on. And I know, you know, it's impossible for for you to sit where you are and and be able to. If I gave you a scenario of if this team does this, what seed do they get? Because you don't know what the other teams are doing around them. But just hypothetically, if Kansas does win these next two games this week against TCU and then Texas on Saturday, and then they were to win the Big Twelve tournament and win three games um, along the way there, and assumedly beat a Baylor or Texas Tech in the Big. 12 championship game uh, would that probably may give them a, a really good case at a one seed and and would you feel like at that point it wouldn't be a clinched one seed but would you feel like there'd be a, a very good chance there would be a one seed i would think in that scenario if kansas were to win out they're going to have a very strong argument to be one of those one seeds for just the reasons that you mentioned because to get there they're going to have to beat a Baylor or a Texas Tech in another potentially quad one or two game in route to that. And also it would leave them, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe would only leave them, you know, with six losses on the season and would end up something in the neighborhood of like 28 and six, which at that point with those victories and net rating would also push back into the top five, I'm sure, which would give them a very good position with that or if they beat Baylor for a second time to do that. So in that scenario, I would like KU's chances kind of regardless of what else happens. But, you know, it, you can look out and say Arizona is probably going to be favored in the rest of its game. Now, it could end up having a tough one with UCLA in the Pac-12 title game. And then you've got a little bit of Kansas and Baylor pitted against each other in an Auburn and a Kentucky pitted against each other so that's where that other team that you know dupes kind of sitting at about six or seven on people's seed list right now largely because the acc just has not been its typical self but we could get to a scenario where if each of these other teams lose a game or two coming in now you could have a duke team sitting there at potentially 30 and four at the end of the season with those early season victories over Gonzaga and Kentucky, and the committee will still count those, they don't really do it by date. I mean, that's not really relevant to their thinking. And so in that kind of scenario, certainly Duke would be in play for a number one at, at uh, 30 and four. Well, again, impossible to know in a specific scenario, but let's say KU does win these next two and then makes it the Big 12 final and plays Baylor and they lose to Baylor, I guess just in a vacuum how much would that be held against Kansas? Would it be something that not really held against them, but it would just more so be a missed opportunity because they didn't score that big win and and maybe an Auburn or Kentucky could jump them because maybe one of those other teams did? I guess, how would that scenario go? Because Baylor is another uh, one seed right now. If KU does lose them in the Big 12 final, could they still get a one seed? That would probably depend upon some help from other teams. Um, we've seen multiple times over the years where two teams from a conference are a number one seed. So that's really not as odd as some people think that it might be. The bigger question becomes, as you said, it's hard to predict, but what else happens? For example, if Kentucky runs the table from here on out, if they're finally healthy again, and they go throughout the rest of this and they win the, you know, the SEC title, then that puts them in a prime position both metrically and record and all those other avenues that the committee is going to consider. And if Arizona wins out, 
they're going to be very highly thought of as well. And so it could be one of those scenarios where, depending on what else happens around them, if you have a Kentucky and a Baylor final, it could be a one gets a one, one gets a two. They build the brackets out that way as options, and the winner of that game becomes the one seed, and the loser becomes the two. And again, that's only predicated on what else happens around them and where the committee is when they get to you know late Saturday night, a week from this Saturday. What do you think the floor of Kansas's seed is at this point? Like, I don't know, losing out is is probably unlikely, but hypothetically, if that were to happen, or they go one and two, like, what's probably the lowest they could get? Would it be a three or a four? Um, honestly. I think the absolute lowest floor for them would be a high spot on the three line. I mean, you're talking about, you know, a, a team that most it's going to end up with eight losses in that scenario against a really good record. Um, I, I'm not sure if they're not a one, they're probably most likely going to be a two. The only way for them to fall out probably is to, as you said, lose out, which would be losing two home games in a row in their first game in the conference tournament, and then also having Wisconsin and Purdue, Texas Tech make it to the final, um, maybe a Villanova you know, run away with the Big East and look strong doing to where they run out of room on the two-line, which might bump Kansas to you know, a 9 or 10 on the seed list. But as I had here, for your, you know, for your fans' perspective, I think most likely the biggest destination is either a low one or somewhere along the two line for Kansas, you know, as we sit here before action uh, continues tonight. We're talking with Dave Allman of Brackettville. Highly recommend go check out his work. Um, as far as the Big 12 goes, are we at a point where it's it's not really possible for Kansas State, Oklahoma, or West Virginia to get in without winning the conference tournament? Has there just been too much attrition between kind of teams beating up on each other, or do they still have a case? I think the only one of those three right now that really could work its way back into the at-large conversation without winning it would be Oklahoma, and that's simply just given you know where they currently sit as compared to the other two teams. Um, and I'm working a little off of memory here, but, you know, Oklahoma's back to a couple of games over the 500 mark as we sit here today. And so if they, if they could get to a point where, see, they're, at, you know, at 16 and 14. So if they could find, um, you know, another win here or two wins this week, get a couple in the Big 12 tournament, um, you know, get to that, get to some place where they're 19 and 15 or 20 and 15, given the potential strength of those wins, they would at least, I think, be on the discussion board for consideration. And then it comes down to lots of other things and other tournaments and how many at-large spots would be available. Is there just generally in putting together the bracket, is there a team or a few teams maybe that have been kind of the toughest to figure out whether it's for getting a high seed or middle seed or just making the tournament uh, for trying to understand what the committee would do with them? Well, I think it's going to be interesting um, to see how the committee handles, for example, um, teams like a USC, okay, who – you know they're they're sitting here today with a 25 and 5 record from a power conference. You know they have four quad one wins. They did beat UCLA at home and they have a quality win over San Diego State, but those are their only two wins over teams currently in the field and that could depend another one by what happens with Oregon down the stretch here. You know so they're a team that you know metrically and analytically and record kind of says they're more like what you would find as a, you know, in that eight, nine type of game, but they're also 25 and five. So that's going to be and some of that may be reflective too, on what happens around them, you know? So that's a, that's an example. A few big 10 teams are tough. You know, Iowa has an exceptionally good rating with the metrics in terms of predictive not as strong with the results, and that's largely because they're one and six against Q1. Um, so that you're kind of splitting the hairs. So I was another one of those teams. It's kind of hard to get a handle on how the committee 
might view them. And then you have another one I'll throw out in your territory, a team like an Iowa State, okay, who started the year off very hot, won a lot of games against some good competition, at least at the time. You know, Iowa, Xavier, Memphis, Creighton were all non-conference wins. Now, you know, Xavier here recently has kind of really started to tank. So how is the committee going to look at an Iowa State at a 20-10 and 10 in a strong league who didn't play a great non-conference schedule? How are they going to handle their seed? So that's going to be another one of those that's going to be interesting to see. And some of that will have to do with how Iowa State closes out its regular season and how it plays uh, in the Big 12 tournament. He is Dave Almond. You can check out all of his work at Bracketville. Dave, we really appreciate you taking some time out of your day and, and hopping on with us again. No, always happy to do it. Uh, it's the best time of the year, and I'm sure it's, it's going to be a great uh, time there for Kansas fans here over the next uh, two, three weeks. Absolutely. Thanks again, Dave. Thank you. All right, that was Dave Almond. Check out his work at Bracketville. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN as well as KLWN.com. We're joined now by a very special guest. We're going to be doing these uh, weekly club interviews coming up here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thank you to Johnny's Tavern. Go check out Johnny's Tavern North. You know where it is. You know what's on the menu. Uh, Rick Renfro going to take great care of you from the great food to the great drink. It's just an awesome place to go hang out with friends. You can uh, actually go check out their big rugby room upstairs maybe if you get in cool with Rick. We're joined by Andy Stewart, who is the KU rugby coach for the uh, KU Rugby Club. Um, So I guess first things first, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this might be thinking, well, rugby looks interesting. It's a lot like football. I love football, but... Sometimes when I watch it, I'm scrolling through TV or trying to figure out what's going on. I just I, I don't really know the rules. I don't really know what's going on. So what's the easiest way when people usually approach you and, and you say, yeah, I, I do rugby, and they, they ask you, you know, can you, like, explain rugby to me? What, what's the simplest way you kind of do that to them? Uh, yeah, without taking too much time here, Derek, um, it's re- it really is a mix of uh, football and basketball, little, little elements of soccer in it as well. Um, because football was born from rugby and, and, and basketball was originally uh, from a, a rugby coach that was looking for a sport to keep his or a game to keep his players uh, healthy and fit through the off-season. So it really looks at the space that you're looking for in basketball with the physicality of football and also some of the, the boot skills of soccer. And uh, I've always heard the term cauliflower ear. Uh, you don't have cauliflower ear. What's up with that? I, I don't. I, I, uh, my position was kind of like the quarterback, so I, was, okay. uh, I wasn't allowed to be touched really that much. But, yeah, the tough guys up front, our forwards, um, which is basically like your defensive line, they are, they're, they're the guys that get their heads rubbed and their ears fat. <laughs> so that's interesting because I, I don't think like, you know, at least for me personally, I just figured, okay, it's, it's a bunch of players out there. There's maybe not positions. Everybody kind of, but there are certain roles, certain positions that different players are, are kind of filling. What are those different spots? Definitely, we have we have a set of eight forwards and seven backs on the field at any one um, particular point in time, and the forwards tend to be the bigger, stronger uh, guys, where the backs tend to be the, I would say, more skillful and a little faster. So it kind of does have some similarities in that regard to football as well. And there's what sevens and elevens. What are the different numbers? How many people are usually on a team? How many players play in a specific game? Yeah, so we have sevens rugby, which is kind of what you've seen in the Olympics and whatever. And that's a shorter version of the game. It's only seven minutes per half, seven players on the field. the The real game is the fifteens game, where we have fifteen players, and that's forty minute halves uh, with a ten minute break in the middle, and it's non-stop. So we have no timeouts or anything like that. And we have a maximum of eight substitutions in that in that team as well, and you can only substitute once. So it really is one of those games of attrition, a uh, really tough game, but um, but super rewarding at the same time. I mean, you've got to be in excellent shape then to, to make it through a whole match, right? Yeah, you, you, you do, and you, you run a ridiculous amount of miles in a game, and um, we, we have to make sure that our guys are in peak physical condition, not only, not only for the aerobic activity, but obviously it, it takes a lot of strength to play the game as well. You know, we, we, a good player will make uh, 10 to 15 tackles in a game, and, of course, we do that with no pads either, so, or helmets. Yeah, and, and I, think, uh, I think it was Pete Carroll with the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL who started teaching some of his players, you know, the rugby-style tackling to avoid these 
helmet collisions or these concussions or neck injuries, whatever it is, what is the biggest difference between how you tackle kind of in, in rugby and, and I guess in, in football? Sure. So the tackle zone in rugby, there's anything above the neck. Uh, oh, sorry, above the shoulders. So neck and head will get you sent off the field. for the Really? And, and you can potentially be sent off the field for the whole game, the remainder of the game. So there's no head contact whatsoever. You must also wrap with your arms and squeeze. You can't use your shoulder just to drive a player out. You actually have to use your, your arms. So a lot of the um, American football coaches are now currently looking for rugby uh, tackle techniques because we do, we're very what we call efficient in the tackle, so we make sure we take the player to the ground straight away. And, and where are you guys playing? Um, I guess when are the games going on? Can people mm -hmm. come out and watch? Of course, yeah. So we play at Westwick Rugby Complex, and if you put that into Google Maps, you'll find it. It's just at the south end of town. It's a great facility, the best facility in the heart of America. Um, and we, we have games out there. We have two games this semester, and you can find all the information out on our Instagram and Facebook pages. We're very active on there. Come out, watch. We, we have at least two games of rugby every weekend, and we've got a really important one coming up on the or two days on the 9th and 10th of April, where we'll be competing in uh, the um, ACR, which is American College Rugby East Qualifier, which if we, we were undefeated in the heart of America and if we go away from this qualifier, we'll be then going to Nationals against the, um, against the West Coast. So uh, that'll be really exciting. That's very exciting. And where does Nationals take place? In That's going to be in Arlington, Texas. And it's, it's actually, we're actually going to be a curtain raiser to one of the MLR, which is Major League Rugby super matches out there as well. So. And so where are we at in the season right now? That It sounds like we're maybe more toward the end of the season, more in the middle. Yeah, so we're actually, I mean, as a calendar year, we're actually smack bang in the middle, but we've already finished our qualifiers for the Heart of America. So we went away from that undefeated in the 15s, which is a fantastic result for KU. We now go on to this qualifier on the 9th and 10th, and then the uh, championships are on the 30th of April. So, But what we try and do this semester is really keep our players tuned up for good rugby. So we... Um, we schedule games with really tough competition to get our guys' uh, mindset you know, right on the ball. So when, when we hit those qualifiers, we're ready to go. I, I think one of the things that I've always read and, and seen about rugby that I think is so cool is after the match, at least maybe traditionally and in you know, other countries, after you just go to a bar and just hang out and you're drinking beers and stuff. And I don't know, maybe that's your guys' routine at Johnny's or something like that. But what is it about the sport that makes it so... Um, I guess just kind of family oriented in that way where everybody just kind of feels like you're one big group all kind of tight knit. Yeah. So it was, you know, obviously created in the UK and, and basically what happened was it was created as a social sport. So each village would have a team and they'd play against each other, but you know, off the pitch, they're mates. So they'll get together and have a feed and a drink after the game. And, and that is the most important part of rugby for us is the social element, you know, growing friendships, you know, it's great to go out there and uh, bash each other up on the pitch, but <laughs> More importantly, uh, I've created some of my greatest friendships with opposition players. So that that's, it, it really is a social sport outside the white lines. Uh, if you had, I mean, obviously both are very important, but if you had to pick speed or strength, like what's more important to the game of rugby? 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're both important. Okay. Hey, but, but rugby, I will say this just quickly. Rugby is a game for all body shapes and sizes. So we've got guys, you know, weighing in at, at 75 kilograms, and then we've got the big two... 230, 240-pound guys as well. So if anyone's ever interested in coming out and having a run, check us out on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Come to a training and just see what it's like. Yeah, and for, you know, whether it's parents listening to this who are going to have kids going to KU or if it is KU students listening to this, is is it just as easy as kind of getting in contact with you or coming to a practice and then trying to kind of get on, involved from there? Absolutely, and you actually don't even have to go to KU. So we have a club, we have a men's club site as well. So um, anyone that wants to come and play rugby, check us out on socials, make contact, and we'll, we'll reach out and we'll get you to a training. And you obviously know Rick Renfro, owner of, mm -hmm. of Johnny's. How good of a rugby player is he? Oh, he's terrible. So <laughs> that's, that's why he had to stay in the bar game. Oh. <laughs> uh. Um, for people, as you mentioned, going to Arlington and all that stuff, if, it, if it's not getting involved by joining the team or anything, is, is there ways that they can support you by, by helping, I don't know, with fundraising or whatever it is to kind of make that all possible? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we, uh, we encourage all people to come out and, uh, as spectators and support the club. We also have a social membership, which means you can sign up to the rugby club 
Uh, it's $50 a year. You get a hat. You get free parking out at the rugby. You get invited to social events as well. Um, and it's just a way that you can contribute to the club. And then, of course, we all always are doing looking for fundraisers and things like that. So rugby is, rugby is not all just about playing on the pitch. It's actually about that, again, that social environment, just getting involved in and being involved in a club. Yeah, and I saw the hat on your guys' website. Hat's worth it alone. It's an awesome-looking <laughs> hat. Uh, last thing I got for you before we let you go, Andy, thank you for the time. Uh, favorite menu item at Johnny's? Oh, it's got to be the uh, Jay Wilson, the burger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. It's a good burger. Well, Andy, I appreciate you coming in and uh, looking forward to kind of keeping track. We'll have to have you on again in, uh, I don't know, a few weeks down the road and kind of catch up where things are at. That'd be awesome, Derek. Thanks for the time. All right, that is Andy Stewart, head coach of the KU Rugby Club. This interview with a KU Club sport coach is brought to you by Johnny's Tavern. Go check out Johnny's Tavern North. Great place to hang out, great place to eat and drink food. That's a Johnny's Tavern, the North location. We're going to have some more KU Club Sport coaches on in the coming weeks. And uh, if you are in a club sport or know somebody who is and, you know, you'd like to get on the air and talk about your club sport, shoot me an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. You're listening in on FM 1017, 1320KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Fun interview there with Andy Stewart. Now we've got to take care of some business here on RCST. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. Um, we got to get to Rock Truck Pick a Hawk. We've got to do our college basketball title winner draft. Let's just go ahead and start with the uh, macro, and then we'll work kind of inward from there. So the college basketball title winner draft, reminder on how this works. Each of us took four teams starting last week, and then every week we have the option to discard one, um, replace it, or stay the same. You took Gonzaga, Kansas, Villanova, and Houston. I took— Might have cursed the Jayhawks, everyone— is on me now. Yeah, I took Kentucky, Arizona, Duke, and Auburn. Yeah, Kansas is 0-2. Um, I, I think as far as teams that would be in discussion for being dropped, for you, do, are, are you thinking at all about dropping Kansas? No, I'm going to hang out with them. Okay. I, I like them for the moment. Um, what about Houston? That's the one I'm worried about. I, I know They've I won p- both, ga- both games since I you picked, picked them. I picked them last, and I'm going uh, – the thing about – Scrolling through Ken Palm, I just don't know who would I replace them with. Do you have UCLA? No, nobody has UCLA. See, that's my thing. I just, I just looking at the top ten on Ken Palm, I, I think I still don't see Texas Tech. Back to the whole say it out loud test. But one see, of, I one of us has Nova, right? Yeah, you have Villanova. I I can't I like see Nova. Houston. That's the thing. Winning the title. The say it out loud. Test. I I put Houston and Texas Tech in a similar thing. But even then, like Tech made the title game a couple years ago. That's I, true. I think it's more likely I mean, well, for Houston Tech. Houston was a. I mean, they made the Final Four last yeah, year. Yeah, by going they? through. Uh, yeah, they didn't that's beat true. A single you're right. Yeah, that's true. you're yeah. right. You're right. Um, you know, I think I will drop Houston and grab UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um. I still don't love either of those three teams. To to I mean, really, I I'm so much Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona right now. I know Baylor's two on Ken Palm right now, but I'm gonna drop Houston and pick up UCLA. Okay, so you'll have Gonzaga, Kansas, Villanova, UCLA. I I think Gonzaga is a great pick. Villanova to me, you know, they haven't been great this year, but still, it's like the coach pedigree thing. They have the two titles. They have the senior point guard. I mean, if if you're kind of sifting out like the best point guards in college basketball this year. It is not a great list compared to other years. And I think that's probably going to lead to more mayhem in March. Um, but like when you saw the the Bob Cousy award, the the finalists that came out of it, it's not like a list that you normally go, man, all those guys are all Americans. All those are great players. Um, Colin Gillespie, the point guard of Villanova, he's a really good point guard. But he might be the best point guard in the country, yeah, which is that's, weird. That's a that's not your typical. That's not how typically things are. No, I mean, no. Usually you have. I mean, who's the who's who do you look at in the point guard in, in the in the college game right now and go? That's a def, that's a pro. No, that's you, a future. You don't. That's a future star. I mean, at the NBA level. If you want to say Jaden Ivey, but he's more of a shooting guard. Yeah. Um. 
So the point is that even though in a normal year, Colin Gillespie might not be the best point guard or even top five. He's a really good point guard, really good college player, but you know, not that dynamic of a player. This year he might be because of how down it is. So having that guy leading the ship um, and having a team that plays kind of a unique way, they can play small. They they, they like to po- uh, post up their point guards. Like it's just it's a unique style of play. So I think that's honestly your second best shot at a title but yeah Kansas UCLA after that yeah I just Kansas and and I don't know I I think I'm probably I think the reality for Kansas is somewhere between what I felt of them last week and and this is how it is being a fan and I try to I mean the fact is we're both fans of Kansas I I try to separate and and give some level of of what I hope to be decent analysis of of the teams I cheer for I do think Kansas is somewhere in between what I thought of them last week and what I think of them at this moment. I'm lower on them at this moment than they probably are in reality because they came off. They're coming off two losses. Um, Bill Self made a decent point last night that on on um, not pick a hawk. That's our our thing. A hawk talk. Um, that you know you you kind of the the bad loss or the 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 bad loss of the last two was was TCU that Baylor's a very forgivable loss and you probably feel a lot better about the Baylor loss if, if you come away with a win in Fort Worth so Baylor, KU is probably lower than I felt about him last week and higher than I feel him at this moment so I'm gonna hold on to them okay um you are going to be mad that you took UCLA when I tell you something somebody just get popped for the year or something. No, we just forgot about a team who's available, and I am going to scoop them up. Is it Duke? No, I have Duke. Uh, I have Kentucky, Arizona, Duke, and Auburn. Are you going to take Baylor? Baylor is available. Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, look, they're they're fine. I, they're no, they're Number not fine. Two in they're Ken not Paul. fine. They're great. Yeah, they're not fine. They're they're terrific. Um, that's a I mean, yeah. I'm 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 not. I I didn't overlook them, but I. No, it's not going to shock me if they win the national championship. It's just weird because it's like, say it out loud, Scott Drew wins. And again, I think Scott Drew's a good coach, but it's like Baylor wins back-to-back titles. Yeah, like, I just think in general, back-to-back is such a difficult it is. thing to do. The only and team I, I think someone is going to catch up with them. I think right now they're, they're they're great, but I also think they are something of of a, of a weird matchup for a lot of teams without um, Jonathan Chamochachua. Mm-hmm. And I think someone's going to catch them. I, I just... Yeah. But but again, it, it's kind of like the the best argument I could make when I was picking against the Chiefs in the NFL playoffs um, was just that it's so hard to do what they were trying to do, which is go to three straight Super Bowls. And as Baylor, it's just the best the, uh, uh, the two biggest arguments I can make against them would be one Gonzaga, and two it's just so hard to win two straight. Yeah, it is. I I don't think it'll happen for what it's worth. But, but they're not a bad pickup. I mean, you're the number two tim, team on Ken Palm. Yeah, uh, Auburn, I'm, I'm going to get rid of them because I, I think the Say It Out Loud test doesn't love either of those, but I think Baylor's just a better team, so I will take Baylor. I, I like my squad. The only problem is you might just have the national title winner in the first pick with Gonzaga, but Kentucky, Arizona, Duke, and Baylor, I, I feel really good about that four that I have. Um, Kentucky, if, if, if I can't pick Gonzaga to win the title, I would probably go Kentucky. I have said on this show before if you gave me Gonzaga Arizona Kentucky I'd probably take that versus the field I think I have gotten to a point where I might even sub out Arizona for Duke if you gave me Gonzaga Duke and Kentucky I'd take it and it's not that Duke has put together this unbelievable season I mean they're really good they're fifth in Ken Palm 26 and fourth they're going to be a one or a two seed most likely a two seed um it's that you know they have like five or six pros on the roster and it almost feels like they're getting slept on because the ACC is so bad. And that's that's understandable for sleeping on them in terms of what their seed should be. But just as far as the talent that's on the roster, they're winning games. I mean, we've seen Villanova win titles. We've seen Gonzaga go to two of the last, I think, four national title games playing in weaker conferences. We, I mean, we talked yesterday off the air about how this feels like 2010. The story in 2010 was Kansas um, with a, just a freak just – team all around they had multiple lottery picks um and then of course Sharon Collins who was one of the best players and one of the best point guards in the country and then the other talk was was Kentucky who that was Calipari's first recruiting class at Kentucky and they were just crazy loaded and then Duke was the four they were the the number three overall seed and people were just they they existed Mm -hmm. but nobody really thought a bunch about them and they won the national championship 2015 everyone's talking about Kentucky again 
undefeated going into the uh, going into the uh, tournament, and um, and Duke wins the whole thing again. So yeah, this is kind of a it's weird. Duke can never play the nobody is you know everyone betting against this card, but they are they're not getting talked about the way. If you do want a reason to bet against Duke, it's that I'm pretty sure all of Shashevsky's titles have come in either Indianapolis or Minneapolis. They could have their first and second round game being in Indianapolis. Yeah. Does that count? It, I mean, you know, hey, a little man, proxy I mean, bump. I'll say this about your team: I I do think your group, like if if this were about, if this weren't about having the national champion, and it were just like let's say each win gets you one point in the NCAA tournament, I think your t- your group of teams winds up with more total points. Yeah, I think I just, you, you I think you have Gonzaga. more. Yeah, I think you have more pl- more uh, teams on your in your group that will make longer runs. Um, I think like I've got, I think you've got four teams that will probably make it to the second weekend. I think I have a three, maybe two or three. Yeah. All four of mine could, but it, it just seems less likely than yours. But I just think Gonzaga is just such a steam engine right now. Yeah. But, but again, um, I generally have a rule like every year, Alabama was, you know, the freak steam engine were the years when they didn't wind up winning at all. So I, I do kind of have a rule where Go against the one everybody's picking. I mean, heck, that was the case last year. Um, as great as Baylor was, all the talk was Gonzaga. They were undefeated, and then yeah. Baylor just swamps them in the title game. Okay, we got to get gross, under- boring. Yeah, game. Rock Shock pick a hawk. I am twelve and eight. Yeah, you've clinched the regular season. I have, but work's not done. Uh, you have the first pick this time. I had the first pick last time. Took Ochai. Who would you like number one I overall? I will also go with Ochai. Okay. Are you worried at all about the late shooting struggles the last couple games? I mean, yes, as far as just being a KU fan and as far as Pickahawk, I'm worried about it. But I also go sample size. Yeah, but, I think that's But, fair. I mean, if he goes, I mean, it's not. it'll be disappointing in the sense that it'll probably mean a KU loss. But if he hauls off for 4 or 13 tonight, it's not going to be shocking because of what we've seen recently. But I, I'll, I'll trust him to get it turned around. Man, Christian Brown really struggled shooting the ball. He went two of nine from two in the game against TCU. But you need a better effort from him tonight. I think you'll get one from him. So I'll go Christian Brown, number two. So we're back to that normal one-two go. And then, uh, oh, it's tough. Jalen actually played pretty well against TCU. He was one of the few guys, although maybe not on the defensive end. But 13 points, seven rebounds in that game against the Horn Frogs. The thing is with Dave, like he he did not have a good game watching the game, but stat wise, he had eleven and eight. So for Rock Chalk Pickahawk, he was a menace. And I do think Dave will have a better game today. Obviously, foot pending. So I guess I'll go David McCormick. I don't feel great about it though. Yeah, I, I'll I'll be honest. I would have been happy with either Dave or Jalen Wilson, and I'm going to take Jalen Wilson. Um, I I. I guess maybe I'm I'm just thinking and hoping or or considering too much the possibility that they just they were so bad the other day they'll just naturally turn it around. That that's not a guarantee. It's it's entirely possible that TCU just athletically is is matches up against KU and and they're going to beat them by ten again. Um, but I I, I would have prefer I would have liked either of those. So I, I'll take Jalen Wilson and. Um, He's still not getting points, but Dewan Harris seems to be just continuing to pile up assists, so I'll take Dewan Harris. Yeah, Dewan Harris got seven assists last game. He ended up with only 11 points, so he's minus three in every other category, but uh, the seven assists. I would expect him to score. He hasn't scored the last two games. I can't imagine that'll keep continuing, and if it does, KU's probably in a little bit of trouble. Um, okay, so you have Ochai, Jalen, and Dewan. I have Christian and David McCormick. Oh, gosh. I mean, Remy Martin... Might be the guy. Mitch has the highest floor in terms of knowing he's going to play, but he kind of struggled against TCU. He struggles against, I think, the bigger, more athletic teams because he's a six-eight power forward playing the center. Um, so I don't love this matchup for him. So I will go Remy Martin with the first one. And then, man, it's tough after that. Um, Jalen Coleman-Lands hit a couple threes in the first TCU game. I think he's now... Eight didn't, of twelve. Do you wonder how much more Clements would have played the other night if he hadn't got didn't he get walloped in the yeah, face he ended like up right off the bat? Having concussion like symptoms, I think they yeah. said. Self on Hawk Talk last night sounded pretty optimistic. He he did say it's up to the doctor, mm-hmm. so he didn't make any definitive declaration, but he sounded optimistic last night. Um 
but I, so I don't know. It, it's possible. I, I think it's worth wondering if he hadn't gotten, if he hadn't taken that shot to the head right away, because he, I, it's like fifty seconds in of his playing time. Yeah, I, I just want to steer clear of the center spot because it's yeah, like with Mitch fair. struggled in that matchup. Even though I know there's a high floor there with with Clemens, yeah, maybe he he would play more tonight. But who knows for sure? He still didn't play a ton, even though he did get injured. KJ Adams played a good amount. He played seven minutes, but. Again, I don't really trust that game in, game out. So I'm pretty much in my eyes. I'm between Joe Yesvu and Jalen Coleman-Lance. Uh, Joe played 10 minutes against TCU last time out for these teams. Um, but I think I'm going to go Jalen Coleman-Lance. I'll go with the uh, bigger boomer bust of the, the three-point shooting, I guess. Who would you like for your final pick? I really am leaning Mitch for safety purposes, but I'm actually going to go Joe Yesvu. Okay. Yeah, none of us took a backup five. I think that's the first time that's happened this season. Um, we just It's in flux. Who knows? All right, that is Rock Chalk Pickahawk and our college basketball title winner draft. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, half hour to go before we scoot out of the way for TCU-KU coverage here on KLWN. Depend on it.